talked about a lot of the uh, inequality. Uh, we've also talked a lot about, you know, we've, this last this last uh, season, we talked about how some work is not valued uh, in the system. And so I think that we've, I think we've decided on women and wealth. Um, and so what, 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 what elements of that do you think we can tease out with guests? Yeah. I mean, I think that's obviously like, if we, that's the, the theme that we've picked for our upcoming season. I think, uh, we both feel like there's a lot of material there and a lot of value in, in unpacking some of that. I mean, I think there's just really a whole bunch of options because I think one aspect is let's say the wealth building mechanisms, right? Like, I think I heard a statistic somewhere that I want to say women own like less than 20% of the world's property. Right. Hmm. And so that means that in a certain sense, they're cut out of that wealth building mechanism. Welcome to the Mindful Wealth Podcast. Stop financializing everything. What is true wealth? What's the right metric for success? Much of how we live presupposes that our incomes or spending is a good measuring stick. But can you really quantify success with a bank balance? Or should we include softer things like learning and love, generosity and gratitude, and happiness and well-being. Hello, welcome back to the 30th episode of the Mindful Wealth Podcast. I'm here with my partner, Terry Shower, and we are going to discuss maybe where we're going to go in the future. I hope you enjoyed the last the last uh, wrap-up of uh, our podcast 29, where we wrapped up the second season, and we're going to talk about what we're going to do in the third season. Terry, what do you think? What are, what, what are the ideas we threw out there? Oh, Jonathan, this is this is going to be exciting. Um, so, you know, I think if if we like refer back to what happened last episode, you know, and I guess for me, like I really have a bit of a, you know, housing slant. And one of the things that I did after universal basic income um, was to look into housing policy and how in various places, um, housing allocations or social housing or like whatever kind of government aid there is for housing, how that has made a difference for people. And, you know, in terms of creating a kind of stability, um, be it, you know, preventing evictions or, or guaranteeing like a higher quality of housing. So, you know, for me, I guess like that's very interesting because I see um, really the, the basic the basicness, that's not a very elegant way of saying it, but like the real uh, basic importance of that as a fact of life, let's say. And then also like like politically how that's gotten framed at different times, right? Like, is there such a thing as, you know, I know in Canada they like to talk about the right to housing, but like, what does that even mean, the right to housing, right? Like at what level, um, how does, is it the state's job to guarantee that? And so like, to me, there's like a whole whack of stuff there to unpack, um, you know, just to see how you can make a difference in society, maybe not necessarily with a check, but by doing guaranteeing some kind of basic level of housing stability. Now, are you are, are you thinking about um, a more of a policy conversation, uh, or are you thinking about like examples of what they do in Chicago versus what they do in Montreal versus what they do in Paris, or are you thinking about? Because I know I know Teva talked about this, right? She talked about. Mm-hmm how um, housing policy or, or specifically public housing in most of the developed world is like 20, 30% of the developed world in the US. It's, and I think in Canada, it's, it's much smaller than that. Um, and so why is that? And why is there a stigma around it? And, and those kinds of things. Yeah, no, I mean, to me, that's like one conversation which I would really love to have. I, I know, for example, having worked in France, um, they don't have so much social, social housing, but they have basically a housing voucher system 
which is huge. So they basically um, make the construction and provision of housing a private affair. But I think the French state supports like something like 30% of people by giving them varying amounts of housing vouchers, depending on income and depending on, you know, what housing costs in a particular area. And like, I know Germany has, I think 30% of their housing stock is social housing. So there are really like very different ways of addressing that rent control, like that there are all these policies that work on housing. So I think to me, that's like one subject. Um, I think another subject is when you talk about the way in which we store wealth and, you know, one thing is like, let's say financial assets, right? So like people, everybody, not everybody, but like a certain group of people all have retirement plans and stock portfolios and stuff like that. But if you look at um, real estate and how much wealth is um, held up in real estate investments and people's primary residences and then people who get locked out of ownership and have become career renters, what that does to, you know, your wealth trajectory, what that does to your ability to educate your kids. Um, you know, you could even talk about like the fact that the baby boomers, there's this huge concentration of wealth in their hands, really real estate wealth. I mean, some of it is retirement savings, but basically a lot of the houses that they bought at, you know, a fraction of what they're worth today, like that's a huge amount of wealth that's going to then be, you know, transferred with through inheritance. Um, you know, and then I'm actually just reading a book right now on um, land and the way in which, you know, property rights and the way land is divided up and, you know, the, the concept of the rentier, right? Like, I think this was another thing that Guy Standing talked about, but that, um, you know, there's this idea that, the rentier, so, you know, the landlord, guess who's <laughs> concerned there, um, isn't really creating anything productive in the sense that somebody who produces a widget or a tech entrepreneur who creates some kind of a service, I mean, ultimately you are maintaining, if you provide apartments, you are ultimately like maintaining and providing a service there, but the main value is really land and location. Yeah. I mean, it's... Right? And, it, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, right, it's really interesting to me because and, and I'm just... This is just coming falling together in my own head right now, but um, I had a problem with so I, I subscribed to the San Francisco Business Times, and I subscribed to it for like 10, 15 years. And what I realized after about the twelfth year is it's one hundred percent about real estate and development. You know, there's a there's an occasional article about a healthcare company, and there's sometimes an article about um, you know some tech company. And I'm, this is San Francisco, right? So there's a ton of tech companies. There's a ton of information. You, but it's, there's always, always, always multiple sections on the real estate landscape, a housing landscape. On And so that, that idea of owners of the land profiting off of everyone else's work is, I think it's a really interesting one to develop at some point. Um, but uh, that's not the only thing that we talked about. Uh, so what, what are some... Of course. <laughs> I mean, I, I, think um, it's, I think it's a very interesting uh, topic. Um, and it's so your expertise. So it'd be it'd be a lot on a lot on you to to find a guest for that. But um, uh, what else did we talk about? Well, I mean, I don't know about what else we talked about, but maybe one of those like you know threads in the proverbial sweater that I would like to pull on. I mean, and this is kind of connected to what I was just talking about. But um, you know, and here we're going back to season one with the the Mark Blythe episode. Mm. But you know, for me, these kind of um, moments like economic moments or like moments at with at which wealth existed in a particular way 
And I feel like I don't have as much of an understanding of that as I would like to. So, you know, if we look back at the transition from like industrialization to post-industrial economy, mm. um, and then you, you lay that on top of the different economic cycles that we had. So, you know, again, like I've been reading sort of histories of this again in the context of housing, but like, if you look at, let's say this, the immense reconstruction after World War II and the you know, challenges that society was facing. And so then that created a welfare state system for 30 years. And then somehow neoliberalism came in and gained credence based on a bunch of things that happened. And we're now kind of in this post-neoliberal moment where we don't exactly know what's coming next. I mean, I don't think anybody ever knows what's coming next, but I think we're aware that we're at an inflection point and the ball could bounce a bunch of different ways. So, you know, at the risk of, of saying that we talk to some more economists or, or people who've done like economic history, um, I feel like I don't have as much understanding of that as I would like to. I can I can really see how guy standing affected you because this is this is how what this is how it really ended for him was you know we're at, we're at the we're on the cusp, and we're going to go one way we're going to go the other and you're like okay but we've been on these cusps throughout history. Uh, what, what made us tilt one way versus the other and how do we affect what's going to, what's coming, right? I think that's a very, that'd be a very interesting conversation. Um, but I think it, it takes us into, you know, deep um, conversations with 13 more economists. Um, and I think yeah. it's probably a better so, idea to like take a break from that a little bit. I agree. Um, <laughs> one, I mean, one of the things we, co- we constantly go back to, and I, and I don't, I don't know when this comes up, but it, I am very curious. Uh, I won't put words in your mouth, but I am very curious about in what way the individual is responsible and what way the individual is not responsible for the outcome. Uh, and there's tons of more of the happiness literature that talks about, you know, luck versus skill. And uh, um, we're building on, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of the people that came before us. And and the great tech companies today actually rely upon roads and all the stuff that was built before them. And yet they reap huge rewards. And is that fair? Um, and I think that without going into, I think I, the conversation we had with your brother was an interesting one on this. You know, it's just about you can have a really, really thoughtful, successful, wealthy tech entrepreneur that understands that they didn't invent everything, right? Understands that they're part of an ecosystem and, and, and has a conversation about that ecosystem. But I, I'd really like to get deep at some point into this conversation about what makes us successful. Um, how much is skill? How much is luck? How much do we control? How much do we not control? Yeah. I mean, I think we tried to go there, but somehow maybe we didn't find the right guests to interview. Like, I <laughs> I don't know. Then we ended up with a, with like going down the, the econ- economics rabbit hole and like hearing a lot of the narrative of, you know, I guess structuralism really, because, you know, when you look at these big economic currents that are going, um, can you swim how much can you swim against the water and like how many how many tadpoles turn into frogs right like i'm sorry to keep referencing that but it's such a good metaphor i'm sorry (laughs) Uh, yeah i'll never i'll never escape that who uh jordan peterson like what we need to have we need to have a, a season that's like anchored on jordan peterson's like concept of your outcomes are determined by your actions um we we did we did sort of a season on on um, how the greater atmosphere, the structure affects us, but it'd be interesting to see how we can how we can actually dig in and do it ourselves as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think I think that would be a very interesting conversation. I wonder also, um, you know, again with some of the the reading that I've been doing, I wonder also like if we might not be able to address mental health somewhere 
because I think this is also one of these things that has been, um, you know, framed in a bunch of different ways. Our society's had a bunch of different attitudes to it. And like, I certainly see again, like, you know, in my work that people who have certain, like, be it personality challenges or mental health challenges, um, end up in cycles that are maybe make it difficult for them to maybe take some of that stuff on themselves in this, you know, making good decision making. Uh, Jonathan, what about you? I mean, what kind of themes would you like to unpack in the upcoming season? Didn't I just say? (laughs) Anything else? Uh, No, I think, I think, well, there's the one I think we ended on that we should probably introduce um, uh, a little bit. And I think I, you know, I'm happy to introduce it. Um, We've talked about a lot of the, uh, inequality. Uh, we've also talked a lot about, you know, we've, this last this last uh, season, we talked about how some work is not valued uh, in the system, and so I think that we've I think we've decided on women and wealth. Um, and so, what 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 elements of that do you think we can tease out with guests? Yeah, I mean, I think that's obviously like if we, that's the the theme that we've picked for our upcoming season. I think uh, we both feel like there's a lot of material there and a lot of value in in unpacking some of that. I mean, I think there's just really a whole bunch of options because I think one aspect is let's say the wealth building mechanisms, right? Like I think I heard a statistic somewhere that I want to say women own like less than twenty percent of the world's property, hmm. right? And so that means that in a certain sense they're cut out of that wealth building mechanism i'm sure if you were to look at you know stocks and like investment portfolios maybe it's not as skewed but i'd be willing to bet that women control less of those assets too why does that happen what does it mean um you know we could even look at things like housing vouchers and basic income would that affect women in a way disproportionately because maybe economically they don't have the same clout or the same opportunities um I don't know. Also, you know, maybe things like, you know, the wage gap um, mm. or maybe also how much of that goes into decision making and, and choices that people end up making because of the way that their life goes. You know, and I think for me personally, like we, we mentioned this in, our, in the episode with Karen Ho, but, you know, being a mom with a young kid during COVID, you end up making a lot of choices and, and being forced into situations that, you know, I never thought I was going to be you know, putting my job on the back burner to look after my kid. That's not a choice that I ever made when society was functioning normally. But I think when you're placed under certain kinds of of pressure and stress, you end up making that choice. And I certainly didn't see any of the men around me making those decisions. So, you know, I think there are, there's stuff to, to unpack there. (laughs) Yeah. And and I, I mean, I, I would, I would say that, um, and and maybe this is disingenuous, but I would say that my wife and I made a similar decision during the pandemic, and in, in that she she actually stayed. She was already staying at home more than I was. Like I was already full time, and she was already part time. But but yeah, uh, she stepped away from her work when we had to, um, and that's that's a decision I think we made together. But maybe we didn't. Maybe there's structural underpinnings that you know that that pushed us to make that decision, you know, because I do make more money because I am, maybe that's just because I am male because there's the legacies and the history of that. And, and so there's definitely a part of that and I'm, and I'm party to that. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation as we, as we deepen it. Um, I think we actually have a couple people scheduled and I don't, I don't think we should be sort of divulging those at this point, but I think it's going to be a really good season. Uh, and I'm going to enjoy uh, the conversation. 
I think because of the way we've set it up, though, it's the most likely that I'm the one that continues to put his foot in his mouth for this season. <laughs> oh, I think you'd be surprised. <laughs> I think you'd be surprised. <laughs> well, I, I welcome that surprise. I, I welcome <laughs> No, no. I mean, I, you know, I, I have a degree in women's studies and like it was not always the smoothest passage through there because even within feminism, you have very different um, sort of perspectives, right? And I was just going to, before you, you kind of put that segue into, you know, our guests, um, I was just going to say, I think we need to have, a, you know, um, a third wave French feminist on, you know, who are more, more like these celebrators of like femininity and the feminine role and, you know, uh, get into like celebrating every everything feminine a little bit more, right? And then the tension on the other side would be the second wave feminist who's really more like, um, you know, we need to just give women the same rights as men and expect from them the same thing as we expect from men, give their universal daycare and just let's all get on with it, right? And I think that like those two, there needs to be like a discussion between those two poles and like if it's possible for a feminist to put her foot in her mouth, it's like if you're on one of those poles and you're talking to someone on the other, like... (laughs) You might end up channeling the wrong. <laughs> I think it's likely that I put my foot in my, in, the, in my mouth in both cases, though. So uh, you know, I, I'm a hundred percent likely to, to to mess this up. But I, you know, yeah. let's let's just have the conversation. Like I exactly. I, I I've written about this. You know, I I have, and this is every guy says something stupid like this, right? The, I have a I have a mom. I've got a daughter. I've got a wife, and it's unfair. Like I've seen it unfair. It seems to be unfair. Let's let's talk about it. No, Jonathan, it is unfair. But let's talk about it. <laughs> so okay. uh, I, I think that's uh, and hopefully we've sort of forecast some of the future things as well with this with the conversation that people have to look forward to. Um, but I, I look forward to. Yes. yes. Let me just add one thing uh, for those of you listeners who are listening to this and wishing that me and Jonathan had picked on a specific theme because you'd like to hear us talk more about that. We're definitely always welcome to suggestions and it's very interesting for us to get feedback and to hear, you know, suggestions of guests or suggestions of themes that you would like us to explore. So please, you know, in the throw it in the comments, send us a private message and let us know what you would like us to talk about. Yeah, in the realm of mindful wealth. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. I look forward to the, I look forward to season three. Yes. Thank you, Jonathan. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Mindful Wealth Podcast. Bye-bye.